Uh, well, I do want to uh, continue in our series this morning. We're in a series called Life Together. We had ended a series on live like it matters is living like Jesus matters, but now I want to talk about what it is to live life together, specifically as a Christian community. So the message I'm going to get into this morning, as we talked last week about true worshipers, what it means to worship together, I also want to talk about what it means to live life together as a Christ-like community. I love the church. I love this church. When the church is done right, I consider it as God's redemptive gift to the world. But when it's done wrong, it profanes the name of Christ, his saving death, and glorious resurrection. You study a little bit of church history, and you can see what kind of evil people can do in the name of the church. But God never intended it to be that way. Growing up in the church and living in America, I came to understand church in a very particular way. I had my church friends, and I had my school friends. They didn't always mix. As I got older, I had acquaintances from church, co-workers from my job as a teacher, neighbors in my neighborhood, all very neat, tidy, compartmentalized parts of my life. You know what I'm talking about? Well, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, spending almost 10 years overseas out of the American church context, it caused Shelley and I to really begin to seek out what the church is meant to be. Of course, the Bible helps us with this. And here's where I'm at. If it's in here, if it's in God's word, I want it in here. If it's not in here, guess where I don't want it? I don't want it in here, and neither should you for that matter. So when people come and have conversations with me about the church, I always ask them, well, point me to where it's at in Scripture. Let's look at it in context. Um, And usually those conversations are interesting. But that's okay. I'm okay with that. You know, one of the challenges for church today due to cultural shifts mostly in our ready access to transportation, is that many churches have shifted from a close-knit community to a disconnected crowd. They've moved from everyone knowing one another and everything about each other to people who maybe know a few others, and usually only that at surface level. So the goal of this series is to move Connection Point Church from a crowd to a transformational community. That's where we're headed. That's, that's why we're doing name badges, but it can't end there. It can't just be we know each other's names. It's got to go much deeper than that. Before I arrived, I was asking God, God, where do you want me to start? With my background, with my MDiv and expository preaching, I like preaching through the books of the Bible. Uh, last year in Jerusalem, I preached through the book of Mark. But I didn't feel like that's where we should start. The Lord really impressed upon me, you need to start to teach them to adore Jesus, and you need to teach them about authentic community. So that's what these two series have been about. Live Like It Matters was all about adoring Jesus. He is our treasure. He's worth giving everything else up for in this life. And life together, it's all about community. How to worship, how to love one another, how to work together to change the world. In today's message, here's what we're going to look at. The church, this church, it must be a place where people are genuinely known, where they are lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. This church is more than this building. It's more than a crowd. What we're called to as a church is to be a community of people dedicated to God's glory in the earth. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 24 and 25, so Hebrews chapter 10. 
we're going to look at how the early church created community. So starting in verse 24, reading in the New Living Translation today just to mess you up. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The church is an assembly of people called out with a purpose. After Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come. We talked about this last month. As Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, 3,000 people are baptized and added to the church. Wouldn't it be incredible to see 3,000 people baptized? 3,000 lives change. Uh, We're actually going to do baptism in a couple of weeks. So, in fact, we're going to do it on a Sunday morning, right about, where's my box? Here it is. Right here. So, a couple of weeks. If you have not been water baptized, I encourage you to call the church office. We're going to do that on a Sunday morning. It's going to be a great day. You'll want to be a part. So, if you've not been baptized, I encourage you to do it. And I'll talk about it again in a couple of weeks. Now, we come to verse uh, Acts 2.42. So, 3,000 baptized added to the church. And here's what it says about the church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Fellowship and sharing meals. Isn't it interesting that that's in the Bible? I think that's why we do potlucks. Amen. Amen. You know, that was louder amens than some of the others. Wow, okay. That's great. (laughs) What do you think is going on here? The early church devoted themselves to community. The The word that Jesus uses for church, ecclesia, means community. More accurately, it's referred to as an assembly of people. He uses the word twice in Matthew in in chapter 16 and 18. Ecclesia comes from the verb ekaleo, meaning called out. So defining it according to the Greek word. As a church, we are simply an assembly of people called out with the purpose to make disciples. We talked about this last month. An ecclesia is more of a movement of people than a static structure in a city somewhere. The early church met in homes an informal setting that moved from place to place, largely due to persecution. So where did the word church come from? That's the question. In AD 313, Constantine instituted freedom of religion throughout the Roman Empire, and soon after he declared himself a Christian, and that's when everything changed. Within a decade, official buildings where Christians met, called basilicas, became built. Germanic cultures used the word kurica, or in modern German, kirche. What's that sound like? Church, yep. And somehow, that word stuck. But more than a building, the church is an assembly of people called out with purpose. When referring to church, Jesus does not make reference to a physical structure, but a community of believers. Jesus did not die for events or buildings. He didn't. Now, God brought this particular group of people right here, Connection Point Church. He brought us together in West Lafayette, on purpose. In community, we are to bring out the best in one another. While in Sudan, Shelly and I got to work with a team of 50 people, great people. We met every week for a worship gathering. So here's what happened, though. We moved from Chicago, our very compartmentalized, these are my coworkers, these are my neighbors, these are the people I go to church with, to where now these group of 50 people 
are the people I lived near. They were my neighbors. I worked with them. They were my coworkers. I went to church with them. They were my church members. I saw those people a lot. Uh, it looked a lot more like the early church. And that changed things. In the words of Pastor Ted, oh baby. <laughs> on one hand, it was great. But on the other hand, it was a major paradigm shift. It leads to personality clashes and other relational tensions, mostly because we weren't used to living that way. I'll put it on us. Let's face it, we do a good job of putting on clothes for every occasion. These are my work clothes, these are my church clothes, these are my neighbor clothes. We just kind of wear different hats and we're comfortable that way, right? God didn't intend us to live that way. Now, I'm not saying that you only live holy in church and curse like a sailor at work. At least I hope not. Uh, if you do, please don't wear any Connection Point Church material where you go. <laughs> I'd appreciate that. Um, but here's what I'm saying. We can get really comfortable in cursory-level relationships. It just becomes the norm of the way that we operate in life. But when this happens, we stay a crowd instead of forming genuine community. So the question is, what can be done to be moved from a crowd to community? It's a good question. How can you make sure you don't fall into the trap of just being a crowd but instead you become passionate about growing in genuine and authentic community. Shelly and I grew to love this environment so much in Sudan when we transitioned to work in Jerusalem. We formed that kind of community in Jerusalem, and we committed ourselves that as we go to the U.S., we want to see that happen there. We think it's the way that the global church is meant to operate, living life together, truly living life together. Jesus did not say he would build a crowd of people and put them in buildings. He said... He would build a movement of community-driven people for his glory in the world. For 1,900 years, when Christians went to church, they went to church with people who knew them incredibly well Monday through Saturday. Why? Because there was no mobility. And we're talking Little House on the Prairie type of situation, right? Think about it. Everyone knew everybody and everything that was going on in their lives. People often attended their neighborhood or city denominational church in a smaller setting where everybody knew everyone else's business. Churches were quite small because no one could come from far away. When people went to church, it was an incredibly different environment than the one we find ourselves in today. When we go to church today, it's with people who don't know everything about us. We go to church with strangers, mostly acquaintances, maybe some family members who know us pretty well. And this environment impacts some things, like how we greet one another. It's very basic. I'm sure most of you are aware of it. The typical, how are you? Which, you really don't care how that person is. You just want to say, it's kind of how I say hello. You know, it's, it's calling that person out. That person answers, good, great. And we're basically fine, good, great with everybody. My parents are getting divorced. I'm failing two classes, and I don't have any plan for paying for college, but I'm great. Thanks for asking. Um, that's just how we respond. It's, it's, obviously, it's fake. We laugh, but it is an understandable response because when most people ask, how are you, they really don't want to know. It's simply a way of recognizing someone else. But somewhere in our lives, we need to have people who, when they say, how are you, they don't mean, I see you, but actually mean, how are you? And when you say, good, and don't mean it, they come back and say, no, really, how are things going in your life? Because they know better. Now what has happened to the church so that it no longer is a place where this is all happening? 
really, it's an issue as I connected to, it's an issue of mobility. Simply put, a car. The, the automobile, it's not new, but a sense of it being everywhere is kind of a new thing. You think 50 years ago, most families only had one car. Dad took it to work. So families would wait for the father to come home, and the mom would go shopping on the weekend or after work. Today, it's not uncommon to have car or cars in a two- to three-car garage, cars in the driveway, sometimes one for every driver in the household. And so mobility has caused some cultural shifts. Where people used to choose what was closer, the nearest grocery store, the hardware store within walking distance, everyone could now choose what was better. And this began to create big churches. And when I say big, I simply mean two to three hundred or more. Because before widespread mobility, a church over 300 was considered massive. So as we look at a church of two, two to 300 today, we think, well, it's not that big of a church. But what we find in a church of 300 or more, which is what we are, that they now start going to church full of acquaintances who know our image far more than our reality. But if we want to grow close to Jesus, there's nothing wrong with a big church because there are so many things that can be done together. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have a large church. It's okay to have that because God can do incredible things through a large church. It steps things up. Our song time, the quality of youth and children's programs, working together to impact near neighbors and global village. We can do more to reach the world together than we could ever hope to do apart. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, we need to be keenly aware that along with all those advantages are some subtle disadvantages. If we're not careful, and we can become a crowd instead of a genuine community. And when we do that, we lose our ability to really genuinely grow in Jesus. Connection Point Church cannot remain a crowd. It must make an intentional shift toward a genuine, authentic, life-transforming community. The church that remains a crowd will not change people's lives. Larry Osborne, a small group guru who pastors a church in California, he lays out three problems that cause a crowd instead of community. First thing is, the church has slowly become in our culture something we go to instead of something we are. We tell people, I'm going to church, and then we go to a restaurant afterwards. The church, for many of us, has become a program, a place where we arrive and can unfortunately become consumers asking the question, what's in it for me? This is why so many people shop for the church that works for them, which isn't a terrible thing, but it can become problematic when people become challenged. They simply jump ship and either publicly or silently proclaim, I'm going to go fish with those people over there, only a year later to say, well, I think I'm going to go fish now with those people over there. It's a problem. I said it before, and I'll say it again. In our American cultural Christian environment, we have to stop doing the church. We have to start being the church. There's a difference. The second crowd-causing issue is viewing Christianity as a private relationship with Jesus. Hear me on this. Our relationship with Jesus is deeply personal, but it is not private. There's a difference. We are part of a body, and when one part of the body hurts, all of the body hurts. But when churches climb from two to three hundred and beyond, it's easy to simply come, get charged up, and sent back out with Christianity as a matter simply between me and God. When our faith becomes a private relationship, we start down a path towards sin because what we begin to judge as right and wrong is what we feel peace about instead of what Scripture talks about. We need our brothers and sisters in the faith 
to hold us accountable to right living, hands down. The proverbial iron sharpening iron. We have to have it. The third challenge of living in a crowd instead of community is that we have nowhere to live out the one another's of Scripture. There are over 30 commands in Scripture of things that we are to do for one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to encourage one another, to pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and help one another. Too often as a church grows, they set up a fund to help people in need, but this removes the opportunity for church members to fulfill their responsibility of taking care of others. I don't want to get sidetracked here, except to say we live in a world that's caught up much in what my rights are when we should be concerned about what are my responsibilities. So you ask, how do we change this? How do we avoid the pitfalls of a crowd and live in a vibrant, healthy, passionate, Jesus-loving community? Here's how we do that. The church is meant to be a transformational community. It's what God's design is. And our scripture from Hebrews helps us. Hebrews 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We're to get together as a church for very specific reasons. To encourage one another, to motivate, to agitate, to spur on one another to acts of love and good works. Isn't that wonderful? We're to encourage each other in good works and in love. To be clear, this is not a passage about attending church. It's really a passage making sure you have godly peer pressure in your life. Peer pressure isn't always a negative thing. There's positive peer pressure too. Now, you could ask, why do I need godly peer pressure? Well, I hate to admit it to you, but you're really not that great a person. (laughs) Pastor, but here's the thing, neither am I. Neither, I'm not going to say that of my wife. I shouldn't do that, right? But that's the truth. None of us are that great. It says that we all fall short, and we do. We need one another to help us in that area. We fall short, and without godly people in our lives spurring us onward, we will not fulfill God's design for our lives. These verses are saying, make sure you take time to gather together in a place where there is godly peer pressure around you. We need it. I'm going to come back to this point in a couple of weeks and how we want to implement that in a Sunday morning service. So I'll come back to it. My wife always tells me, you're always telling people we're going to come back around to things. Well, you've got to keep coming. For Connection Point Church to move from a crowd to a community, we must see three things happen. The first is, you must be genuinely known. You will never be everything God has called you to be if you're able to live pretending or with an image. What we see of you on Facebook is not really who you are. You only show us what you want to show us. Somewhere in your life, somewhere in my life, you've got to be genuinely known but you also must be lovingly supported. Christianity is not a solo sport. And if you're going to become all that God wants you to be, you not only need to be genuinely known, but where you have issues and things that you're struggling with and burdens that you're carrying, you need to be lovingly supported because God has not designed the Christian life to be lived alone. You've got to be lovingly supported. The third thing you must do is you must become, to become everything God wants you to be is to be honestly challenged. And I'm not talking about simply being challenged with what maybe is spoken from here on the platform. Um, That's not the challenge I'm referring to. I mean challenged one-on-one where someone looks at you in the face and says, Bill, why are you staying out all the time? Your family needs you at home. Your kids need a dad. Your wife needs a husband. 
you get in a person's face and challenge them in the tough areas of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, I love this, he says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. I know that we like to avoid confrontation. I do. But I've come to a place where I realize it is sometimes the most loving thing that I can do for that person. If you know someone's not living right, avoiding the issue is one of the most unloving things that you can do. And you could ask, Pastor, why do I need these things so badly? The first one is we must be genuinely known because anonymity breeds sin. Our fallen nature needs to be kept in check. This is best done in a community, not a crowd. We like our private lives. Our Constitution even says we have a right to privacy. And I don't have a problem with that, except for when people read that into the Bible. There is no right to privacy in the Bible. We're to live as an open book. There's so much freedom in your soul, and I want to say, Shelley and I have, have lived this way, and there's so much freedom in our soul to know anyone has a right to look at anything in our lives, examine it all, and let us know if there's shortcomings. When you live that way, there is such freedom, because otherwise, with the word that was spoken this morning, I'm going to come back around to it, you live in much shame. One of the things I want to encourage you to do to avoid anonymity is to live life out in the open. Give people permission to invade your life. That doesn't need to be me. In fact, it probably won't be me. But you need to have people in your life that have permission to invade your life. Instead of declaring it's none of your business, you start declaring it's all your business. It's a switch. The reason we must be genuinely known is because anonymity breeds sin. The reason we must be lovingly supported is because some things are too big to face alone. In a crowd culture of everything's good... People fall out of the church because they're carrying things they weren't created to. Galatians 6, 2 through 5, it says, Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You read this scripture, and at first I kind of struggled with, so which one is it? Bear one another's burdens or bear your own load? It's kind of piggybacked between those two. Well, here's what it is. You bear one another's burdens at certain times, and sometimes you bear your own load. We live in a private culture of anonymity where we try to bear our own load probably more than we should. It's a both-and situation. If it's a backpack-sized load, carry it yourself. Don't be needy. But, but... If it's a trunk size load, ask somebody for help. It's what our Christian community is here for. And too often we try to carry it ourselves. So I'm going to say that shouldn't be our default. Our default should be ask for help and allow people to be a part of what's happening in your life. You know, we do this a lot. For whatever reason, Shelly and I, in our first five years of marriage, we couldn't have kids. Uh, so eventually, Shelly, five years down the road, she got pregnant. We were excited, but a month later, she miscarried. And we initially just told our parents, then we told our siblings, then we did tell our young couple group that we were leading in Chicago, and eventually we told some of our other church members. It was kind of a trickle-down effect. But I don't think it really should have happened that way. What's wrong with this picture? Wouldn't it have been nice to receive encouragement from everyone right at the start? Of course. Why do we live such private lives? We don't need to do that, especially in the church setting. If we're there for one another, 
It would have been nice just to let everybody know, hey, that happened in our lives. If you could be praying for us, we'd sure appreciate it. So I encourage you, open up. Allow others to come alongside you and help you carry burdens you were never meant to carry on your own. We must be honestly challenged in order to view ourselves accurately and confess our struggles. And this needs to be done with a group of people where you're genuinely known and lovingly supported. James 5.16 tells us, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You need this, and I'm going to link this to what Kara was saying this morning, so that shame can be removed. James declares that you may be healed. Shame can destroy you or at very least bring you down, so don't let it. You've got to have people in your life that you can speak to who genuinely know you, who lovingly support you, but also honestly challenge you. They get in your face a bit. To move from a crowd to a community, we must get involved with others where you can be genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. And here are some questions you can ask in self-assessment. Who are you bearing life with? In other words, how are you doing to live out, to live with those who require extra grace? We all have those people in our lives that probably need an extra measure of grace. How are you doing life with them? The person you typically try to avoid when you should be living Jesus-like, offering mercy, grace, forgiveness, you know, all that stuff in the Bible. Who are you showing hospitality to? Finding a need and meeting it, even if it's not convenient. Hospitality, not entertaining. Hospitality straightforwardly meets needs. What burdens are you bearing? Not a small contribution to the, to the food finder's fund, but who are you making personal sacrifices to help? And lastly, who are you confessing your sins to? You know, I know we have different church backgrounds, but I'll tell you, one of the things I appreciate from the liturgical church backgrounds is that practice of confessing to a priest. Um, you know, we're, Peter writes about we're all a kingdom of priests. So we're going to close today, and I'll, I'll give you fair warning, that I'm going to close today by having you talk with the neighbor. I know, again, talking with people in church, it's a new idea, um, but we're going to keep passing that around. But I want you to take that moment. I hope that there are people in this room that you already have a relationship with that genuinely know you and lovingly support you. If you don't, we've got to find a way to make that happen. Um, But I'm going to come back to that. Here's a quote from the book Community That is Christian. We cannot play at community development. It is essential to who we are and profound enough in its implications to keep us pursuing it until it climaxes in that great communal celebration of lamb and bride. You know, one of the things I think we lose sight of in the relationships we have right now, in case you have forgotten, you're going to spend eternity with these people. So if you can't stand five minutes with them now, good luck. I think God is humorous enough that he would probably have you as their neighbor. So if there's relationships you don't have right, I encourage you right now, You need to start working on those things. And sometimes it takes time, but you need to keep that in mind. I'm going to keep reading. I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. Community is a way of life. We don't like to think of being responsible for others. I like not being my brother's keeper, nor do I want any other having responsibility for me. Dependency is on the most feared list today. Self-disclosure is relegated to the professionals whom I pay to listen Vulnerability and weaknesses are dangerous. Commitment is too binding and controlling. It's easy to settle for a counterfeit or substitute because of the cost of us pursuing real community. We must not settle 
for small group times that are as good as the garden club or the local Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Community is distinctly Christian. If we do this, if we successfully move from crowd to transformational community, we will find God's purpose for our lives in the world. We will find God's purpose for Connection Point Church in the world. So I implore you, don't just come to church. Be the church so you might change the world. So here's how we're going to close today. I already alluded to it. I'm going to have you talk with the person sitting next to you. Hopefully there's somebody you know, and if you don't, it's okay. We've got to start somewhere. But I want you to ask that person, anyone can ask the question of anyone, how are you doing? How are things going? And not just I see you, but really, how are things going in your life? How did your week go? And I want you to begin talking with that person sitting next to you that you might start establishing, that we might start seeing a transformational community coming together here. Living well in biblically functioning community is challenging. It requires commitment and openness. But the question is, what's at stake? The ability to reach thousands for Christ. If we can't move beyond here, if we can't move beyond service level relationships, it's hard for Christ to use us in the way that he means for us to be used. So we're going to play some music. I just want you to take a minute, talk with the person sitting next to you, ask them genuinely, how are you doing? How are things going in your life? Let's do that now. Well, you can keep talking. I don't need to dismiss you. But just know in coming weeks, we're going to come back and visit things that we can do to make sure we are a community where people can be genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. We want to see that happen so that lives might continue to be changed. Not only ours, but that lives can be changed through ours. So that we want to do that with great intentionality. So feel free to keep visiting. I'm not going to, I guess, leave if you want, but at some point you'll have to. Somebody's going to, I don't know who's locking up today, but I'm sure they'll want you to go at some point. Um, But feel free to visit, um, take time, really ask each other uh, what's going on in your life, and especially related to the concept of shame. If there's things in your life that are causing you shame, please know the enemy would love you to stay there, but Jesus Christ is not. Um, So please feel free to to confess that with one of uh, the people that's sitting next to you. You don't have to confess that to a pastor. Talk with your Christian brother or sister in the faith. That, That shame might be removed. Something amazing happens in the act of confession, so please know that. So as you leave from this place, may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May he grant you his mercy and give you, fill you with his peace. Amen. Go with God.